You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Drinks with Johnny. Man, I am so excited today because I am joined by a childhood hero of mine, Mr. Dave Ellison. How the hell are you today, my man? Dude, I'm doing good, Johnny. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it. No, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. I mean, uh, we just met each other, actually, for the first time in, uh, what was that, like three, four weeks ago when I was in Phoenix? Yeah, it was like a month ago, right? You guys came through Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, my good buddy in tech, Willie G, working for you, and um, and he said, hey, you want to come down? And I said, of course. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, we've done shows together over the years, and mm-hmm. as often happens, like I remember one, I think it was in Canada or something, right? And, and um, you know, the stage was way over there. It was like golf carts or a van, and, you know, the stages were next to each other, but, you know, our dressing rooms were there, but... Right. As we're on, you're backstage. As we come back, you're driving to the stage. So that's been most of our, our acquaintances, like, yeah, probably waving at each other from a golf cart, you know? So <laughs> Exactly, man. Yeah, no, that's, that's funny. Uh, yeah, Willie G. Shout out to Willie G again. So he was your tech. I knew he came from the Megadeth camp before, um, but I yeah. couldn't remember if he told me he was working for you or one of the guitar players. I couldn't remember. So Well, so he worked for Dave in the, you know, 20... 20- so 2002, Dave broke Megadeth up for his own personal reasons. 04, he puts it back together. I'm not there with that. And I came back in 2010. And it was funny, uh, Willie and the drummer, uh, Sean Drober, and then his brother was also the guitar player uh, for a bit during that season. And those guys, they kept bugging Dave all the time. Get Allison back. Get Allison back. You know, <laughs> and... Uh, you know how it is in bands when there's personal rubs or you've got something that you need to talk about but you just can't get together to talk about it and it's like it just it didn't work you know and it's funny because willie i never knew the the man before um until i went back to the group in uh, 2010 but he in fact he even hit me at nam i guess it was nam 2010 um you know the big four shows were announced the you know the plaque back there um and uh willie was texting me uh because dave was going to go jam with dean guitars at the grove or something and i guess james lomenzo who was playing bass at the time they couldn't find him and he said he goes and he's always kind of mr ellison you know that's very kind but he texted you know hello mr ellison would you be able to go hey uh we know willie hey uh can you come over to the Grove and jam a couple songs? I said, of course, no problem. In fact, I even have a bass in my car. Uh, just let me know. I'm 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 here to help out, you know. And, and that never, never, you know, panned out. But it was literally a, fuck, I don't know, a couple days later, I come home, and my son Roman, he goes, Dad, did you just read the message that uh, the Megadeth Slayer American Carnage tour isn't going to happen? It's postponed because Tom Araya's got to go get an X surgery. And I can kind of, you know, you kind of tell when things are falling into place, sort of the divine or the universal, you know, method of how even rock and roll operates, you know. Mm. So I was kind of going, all right, I guess I guess this is looking like I'll probably end up being back in Megadeth because David had been texting me a bit before that. And um, 
And then, so finally, I, literally, I was sitting right over here having dinner. February second is my son's birthday, uh, so this is mm-hmm. a week after Nam or something. And, and the uh, Megadeth announced uh, the twentieth anniversary Rust in Peace tour was coming up. And um, and uh, and ironically, our mutual friend Mike Portnoy, we had been yeah. in New York a couple of days earlier. I had a little heavy metal tribute band called Hail with Andreas Kisser, Tim Ripper Owens, uh, Portnoy was playing drums that week, and myself. Shit. And he, and we were going up to Eddie Trunk and uh, to do some interviews, and he goes, "Dude, that's fucking bullshit. You're not on that fucking Big Four show." Da da da. You know, and it was it was just because you know Mike's a fan, as you know. He's yeah, a, he's a. I don't know if he's a drummer or a fan first. I don't know. They're both. He's a know, fan he's, of music first, man. He, yeah, the guy's an yeah. encyclopedia of uh, knowledge totally. of music. Yeah, you know, right? So we'll get to him, of course, in a minute, since yeah. we share a, a common common thread with him as bass players and and him, but. But yeah, so I literally, I walk in here and it was a Blackberry back in 2010. wasn't even an iPhone yet, you know, it was blinking <laughs> and I pick it up and it's Willie G. Mr. Mr. Ellison, if you would, could you please call me? I wanted to see if you'd, you know, come back to Megadeth. And so, you know, Willie's been a, a good brother to us all, you know, and, and of course a good brother to the, our big four community. And, you know, you know him, he bleeds heavy metal yeah. and, um, and when he's in, he's all in, you know, he doesn't just take a job to make a buck. If he likes you and he likes the gig, he's in. And so, but yeah, that's the history. So when he hit me about working with you, I was like, dude, that's fucking cool. Yeah. I said, that's great. I love those guys. I'd love to come down. And like I say, we'd never really hung and broed down. And I got to chat with you and Brian and, right. and, uh, and even Matt for a bit. And just, just to, to bro down. That was, that was a great night. In fact, I'll tell you this much, man. After that night, I came home and I fucking, I hadn't been playing my bass much for, I don't know, about a month. I was on tour all summer. I came home. I was kind of sick. I had to heal my throat. I've been singing a lot. Of course, I do all the fucking interviews, so I'm the guy doing all the talking, you know? So it's, it's I never showed up. That's, that's, that's the job of the bass players. That's why I decided, <laughs> right, right. That's why I decided one day, I'm like, hey, I'm doing all the talking anyway. Why don't, why don't you just come over and listen to my podcast if you want to hear what I have to yeah, say? Yeah, the singer's in the mood. The guitar player's hung over. Fuck, get the bass player to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever. Uh, what it is, right? So God, God love them, you know? But um, it's, uh, yeah, so we're probably probably the same the same guy you know but yeah. you and me but so it, it's funny how I, I i but after your show and after talking to you guys man i came home i picked up my base back and it's funny i bought this got a few of them here but i bought this this pv t40 oh, right wow. which was like the original it's a 1981 right and Whoa. i bought it um it's heavy it's as hell beautiful. i mean what kind of wood is it a, what kind of wood did they, did they you use know it's look i you know Dude, it's so heavy. I mean, yeah. you could literally get in a street fight and you would for sure win. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what it, it's. I don't know if it's if it's all. You know, usually I guess fenders, right, or music mans and stuff are mostly alder and ash, right? Mm-hmm. But this fuck, it feels like oak. <laughs> so heavy. I don't know. Yeah. And then you know, I was I just guess, curious because I think we did. Uh, I think we did ash. What? I now I don't remember the word. But around 2010. I went with Schechter and started doing my own uh, 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 signature bases. And the wood that we sure. use on that one, too, is it's a heavy bass. Like, running around, I make the joke here, yeah. but it's like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a toll on my back eventually. It's like a 10-pound bass when you're running around for, for two hours. Trust man. me. You're looking at your future. <laughs> my back. <laughs> Trust me, dude. I walk in the office, and some days I look at the bases, I go, that's just going to fucking hurt me. I don't feel like doing that today. You know what I mean? Because my, my back... In fact, I go to the trainer and we specifically work on areas of the body to try to strengthen oh, it before I go on the road. Low back, you know, L4-5, SI, 
as you know, C one, two, three up in the neck, you know, and then and even, the bases you know, are not light. Of, they're not like guitars, man. They're, they're they got to have a little bit thicker, heavier wood on them, man. Yeah. Dude, I picked up Dave's fucking Flying V one time. You know, I was over on a drought of sound check and Willie, you know, had it out there and I picked it up. I go, are you kidding me, dude? This thing weighs like this much. You know, it's like <laughs> a cup. It's, there's no wood on a Flying V. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to hear any complaints about anyone fucking having neck problems. Like, I, you know, you and me were lugging <laughs> these 12 pound bases around. <laughs> dude, it's, it's a real thing, though. So, yeah, back they got to it good. Uh, after that night, you, you were saying you went back and you picked up that PV. Dude, I, yeah, I, I, because the, you know, it's funny about this PV. It's, it's again, it's heavy as a all, I'll get out, but it's, there's, there's magic in it, man. I pick it up and songs fall out, you know, and I don't know if you're like this, but I, I have instruments sitting around. Of course, I do the Jackson thing like you do Schechter. So I have things made for me, things I've designed and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, and they're, they're my road warrior bases and stuff, but, Sometimes they don't always have a song in them. It'll be the most unsuspecting instrument <laughs> that has a song in it, you know, like mm -hmm. it'll be some, again, the PV, you know, <laughs> or I'll pick up like the, the Rickenbacker 4001 and suddenly that's the one that's got a song in it. And, and no, my attitude, I'm not a bass collector. Uh, and, and certainly my Jacksons have had songs in them, of course, but just kind of the unsuspecting when I'm grinding and practicing and it's a work tool, in fact, this is not one of my bases. It's actually just some Indonesian thing that they made that I, I love. I, I actually had to put the EMGs in oh, and get it all tricked say, up. Yeah, those are the EMG. Yeah, I've got those in my Yeah, classroom. I just had to put them in with the whole BQS and the whole active thing. Sick. And it really, you know, just went through this. And, you know, I bought, I bought a couple of these Marshall uh, mini stacks. You know, back when we got our money – from capital in the 80s we remember we had three of those me dave and then we or, i had a base one dave and uh chris poland i guess or jeff young maybe had the guitar ones and for a while you know me and slash were hanging out and he had a red one so he brought his over to my apartment so we had like this back line of like four awesome marshall mini stacks oh, in my shit. in my apartment <laughs> so mine was kind of gray slashes was red and then we had two black ones so it was like this ultimate like fucking you, know, you guys are just my, jam, me, you guys are just jamming the in the apartment like that. Jam out, get high, write songs, party. You know, <laughs> jamming. Yeah, it was good. He had just come off Appetite for Destruction, and all of his big money hadn't shown up yet. I mean, he was he was starting to get well funded, but he was just living in like an apartment behind Tower Records. Man, Slash is just he was just so unassuming. You know, I remember what I remember him and Stephen Adler came over to my apartment, that same apartment about I don't know nine months earlier when me and my girlfriend were living there and. It's all furnished and nice. And of course, this is album three for me. And, you know, and I, I grew up in a good family. So, you know, you buy a couch, you buy a piano, you know, you put dishes in the cabinet, you know, and, it, you know, you, you live that life. Right. So my apartment's pretty nice. Right. And um, I was in Hollywood and, and I remember Slash and uh, Adler came over and they're like, how did you get all this? I'm like, well, you drive around and you'd see where it says for rent and you'd go rent an apartment and you so I'm like, where did you got all this? And I was like, we go to the store and you buy it. <laughs> you know, or you have your it was a foreign to concept to them. <laughs> and then they're like, you have a car? I'm like, yeah, I got a car. Now. Like, How'd you get that? I was like, well, go to the car dealer. You know, you try a car out, right? <laughs> and I think those guys, you know, I mean, it's everything we love about Guns N' Roses, especially in that day. I mean, they were like such like sort of like Hollywood gutter snipes. You know what I mean? They were right. just, they were the ultimate true fucking dark not, not dark in a bad way, but just, you know, the ultimate sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Hollywood rock and roll band, you know? So to live, oh, yeah. like, 
you know, I remember going to Bobby Blotzer's house from Rat one time, and and he lived down to like uh, uh, Redondo Beach, you know, and he had this big Yamaha endorsement. Rat was headlining arenas, really killing it, you know. Yeah. And I was gonna go down there, and I'm like, fuck, man, he's got his bitching cars probably a Porsche, whatever. He's got his Yamaha endorsement. I mean, he's got like jet skis and fucking drum sets and mixing whoa, consoles. Whoa, whoa, wait, hold the phone. So when they were giving away the endorsements back in the day, Yamaha, that is, they obviously have instruments as well. Uh, but yeah. you're saying they they were sponsoring them with jet skis and some of the toys that Yamaha Dude, makes too? everything, the whole nine. And you know what? PV used to do that too. You know, I ran our part PV's artist relations from 2002 to 2010. And, you know, there's a guy back in the day, the 80s, kind of the glory day, you know, they would do the same thing, man. They, uh, there's guys, Brett Michaels, and these guys would be like, fuck, Phoebe would just back a truck up to my house and it'd be a, like a recording studio, and PA, you know, wow. and all this stuff. So, yeah, it's not like it is, you know, in, in our day now. Well, right? Yeah, well, no, and, and now it's, now it's like, it. well, uh, no, I've got a great deal with Schechter. Love them. Love that I was able to yeah. uh, create a base literally from scratch and, and work with them. Mm -hmm. Um, to get exactly what I wanted. So I'm very happy with the instrument part, but I didn't know, you know, until just now, I was, uh, you know, this many days old that everyone says on, on the internet now, uh, that, like, they were, Yamaha specifically, would be giving away jet skis based on an artist totally. who's in the music industry. Like, that's, yeah. that's wild to me. Like, that's, that, that's a different beast. Yeah, well, you know, double platinum in that day. And again, you're a platinum artist. You you got into the wire. You guys were We were like the money, last so. ones, man. We like snuck you were the right last. in there. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny because I was talking to the singer from, um, you know, you guys are of an era. Like you, Lamb of Gods, um, Shadows Fall, you know, kind of that 2000s era of bands, right? And obviously you guys became the deep pool Metallica. of Shadows Fall there, man. Throw out, throw out to yeah. Shadows Fall. Good old boys, man. It, took us out years ago. And it was the singer. He was. We were sitting outside while we were waiting Matt, for you guys yeah, to finish yeah. your meet. Great. Yeah, he was there, and we were talking about, um, you know, just kind of, you know, talking about the whole thing. And of course, you know, outside of maybe Jason Bittner, and I guess, I guess uh, John went over to Anthrax. So a couple of those guys, you know, kind of stayed in the game a bit. But mm -hmm. you know, look, unless you're at a, at a certain level, as you and I've been able to enjoy it's like you know you play rock and roll and then you go home to your job even today you know or you know it, it's it's a whole different deal and and um you know the the it's funny I just bought some plaques for Metal Allegiance right which is our you know band with Portnoy again here's name pop yeah yeah here. we're, we're uh, yeah, he's, gonna, so be, we're he's gonna, gonna be threaded throughout this conversation he's, he's crossing over right <laughs> <laughs> so 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 um he um so anyway, we, we you know we're going to do our tenth annual show at the House of Blues in Anaheim coming up here in January during Nam, right? And and so Mark Mengi, the uh, you know the the my founding partner of that thing, you know, he one day he sends us a, like a thing, say, hey, check it out, boys, we can get these plaques. It's for like five million streams, which you know to avenge sevenfold and Megadeth isn't much, but it's for for a new band, it's a thing, right? And that's so very, like, that's, a, that's I rad. I didn't, even, yeah, it's not bad, right? So like the good. gold records, you know, that I have here, like you have in your house, I'm sure, you know, real gold and platinum, eating million, half million, you know, like real kind of numbers. Right. Like now we're celebrating five thousand stream or five million streams, you know, and I'm just like, so this is where this has gone, you know, is <laughs> to this whole. And you don't this really know, place. and you don't really know how that breaks down and gets back to you as as far as royalties go. <laughs> I have no idea. In fact, Brian said it the best after you and I chatted. We we're out in the parking lot, and he said, "He goes, well, 
He goes, let's face it, it's a broken business, but somehow we all stay in it, you know? <laughs> I thought that was a good way to put it. It's a broken yeah. business. And there, that you just hit it, man. It's like streams. It sounds cool, but like, what is it? And how does how do I buy groceries with that? How does that work? Right, you know? no, I mean, yeah. somebody knows. I mean, they, that's, the, that's the thing. When you look at how they can look at all the... Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, analysis of of right. the user. They have more access to, directly to what a user is doing on a regular basis in all these apps, not just music, movies, TV, right. everything like that. The fact that they can't tell you, you know, they being the powers that be, whoever it is, right, tell right. You exactly yeah. how it breaks down to get your cut of that stream. It is mind-boggling because they have all the analytics. That's what I was looking for, analytics. Well, they you and I that. probably are on Ryan Downey's email list, right? Our friend Ryan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went on his, yeah. uh, I went on his uh, Seek and Destroy podcast a few years back. So, Yeah, great guy. So he's got that email list that breaks all this shit down. And even still, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like when I saw, you know, new Metallica record comes out, the most recent one, 72 Seasons. Mm -hmm. And it sold 150,000 copies. I'm like going, oh, no, we are all in trouble if Metallica is only selling 150,000 copies, right? Right. And, and, um, and then, of course, that moves on. And, of course, with it is, you know, gazillions of streams, you know, just like you guys. I mean, look, you guys are the Metallica of your generation. You know, your yeah. band became that. Lamb of God kind of became the Pantera. Uh, Trivium's Megadeth. I don't know if I had to, you know, Shadows Fall. I think you know, you're putting together the next big four, actually, without realizing. <laughs> Get on it, brother. We can't do it anymore. There's no more Slayers, so it's over uh, over uh, you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Take we'll, the baton. We'll, 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 we'll find something. We'll find something. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a great idea, dude. We You you might have actually just stumbled onto the next big fucking <laughs> summer shed tour next summer. <laughs> I've, definitely, I've definitely talked about it. You know, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Matt and all the all the guys you just mentioned mo mo for the most part because we grew up together doing this like matt heffy uh heffy was on the show uh, a couple right. years ago and we we discussed it because i was like man i think you would you and i would be on this bill who else would it be if we're fantasy booking you know like what would that be yeah, yeah. like and then we got well, funny dragon force even came on around that time and who would dragon force be they would be like if i had to make it you know a, a, a correlation i don't know would they be I mean, they're just so far. I went song so the other day. Shreddy. I mean, uh, is it like, is it like a, I don't even know, man. It's got to like be. Like Annihilator or I don't know what it would be. They're just I so. Think, I think they're just different, man, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> they kind of, I mean, they're, they're of your sort of high school class, if you will. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Uh, whatever class of 2004 or five. Yeah, the one and, only, the one and only Ozfest we did, they were on it. Yeah. So and they got, I saw them the other day. They were so fucking good, man. I mean, between, you know, those two guitar players, you know, and Herman's like a mad, they're gamer guys. They're mm -hmm. really into the, the whole, you know, that whole gaming world and stuff, but it's like, they're, they're, they're licks, you know, and Sam doing it while drinking a beer and, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, it's just, and they're a little bass player. The, uh, uh, Alicia, Alisa, Alicia, mm -hmm. um, Great. Super cool. I thought, you know, a cool look to have her in the band. Yeah. You know, I love that new song that they have, that um, uh, Doomsday Party. And they did it. And they, right. they did a, a video where they dress up like uh, she dresses up like me. I'm, I'm like their sort of thrash metal icon. <laughs> uh, she's she told me that there's a Sinister Gates looking 
somebody in there and and she said she goes that's my guitar actually that's my that's my sinister oh that's funny. Uh, signature model right you can they put it together and then there's some doom metal dudes and some stuff and it, the whole idea was they're kind of giving their homage to their heroes you know avenged and megadeth and that's awesome. You know, whoever I didn't else. realize that. I'll have to check that out. That's that sounds check cool. it out. It's really good, man. So I and then and the bass line's killer, man. It's mm. really, really good. It's kind of like a kiss I was made for loving you, you know, in the modern day. It's this kind of like funky, really groovy Motown kind of bass line. A little, or something, little walky, you know? little walky, right? Yeah, you'd like it. You you oh, definitely that's, dig that's, it. That's all that's that's the kind of shit real. I like, man. But let, yeah. since we're already on the topic of bass playing and shit, like let let's let, let's uh for the four or five listeners that are bass players out there right now that uh, are yeah. tuning in to hear this, um, I, I just want to say, like, we talked a little bit about it in Phoenix, and I was telling you how, you know, I grew up transcribing a lot of your stuff, man. It's like absolutely, right. you know, as I said, I still, I still warm up with uh, a little bit of Countdown to Extinction, the bass riff there, and uh, I used to So sound, wait, so which one? The you want the, can you hear this? Is this I don't know, is it's not really coming across. So if the uh, it's the uh, intro, the high uh, riff. That one. That's the one, but I, I, I will. We can't hear it. Yeah. It's not coming through. Can't hear it. Okay. Yeah. I should probably now. I'd have to turn it up too loud because the amp is way over there, and I got earbuds. In, so. Well, isn't that how you met Dave? Playing it real, playing your bass <laughs> too loud. I didn't. Yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I got to tell Michael Anthony that story uh, at, at NAMM one year. I said, hey, listen, man, I owe you a big thanks. Uh, you know, I told him the whole origin story of me living in this apartment under Dave. And I was, I said, I was playing bass. Dave seems to remember it was running with the devil. I don't know if I was. So let's just go with that. And uh, and then, you know, he and I met a couple of days later over some beer. And, you know, we started Megadeth. And, you know, so it's, thanks. Thanks for helping me pass the audition. You know, and he is laughing. <laughs> He said, he goes, well, at least it was an easy baseline. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, but, I, I will say, for, especially for Michael Anthony, who's an incredible bass player, um, it is like, it seems the more simplistic part. But then when I, I was talking to Brandon Sadler years ago, Vitreyu, and he's like, you know, it does seem like it's the easiest thing ever. But if you have to do that for the entire song and be dead yeah. nuts on that, don't, yeah. don't. Don't, and not lose your place. There is actually yeah. a little bit of skill to that, to figuring that out, you know? You know, Jason Newstead said that about, when I remember when they're doing the Black Album, you know, about just saying, hey, man, you know, something like, just give me some eighth notes, and really, right. can you pound them out? And you know, Bob Rock, so he's new to the band. Now, I knew Jason, because they used to, when he was in Flotsam and Jetsam, they'd always open for us when we came through Phoenix. And then he got the gig, obviously, Metallica, um, but you know, the pressure's on now, you know, because it's one thing to be a fan of somebody. It's a whole other to jump into the hot seat. And now you're, you know, you're the guy. And right. so obviously Jason was a different player from Cliff, um, you know, fingers to, to plectrum right. and stuff. Um, but you know, it's funny that, you know, it's, it's so true. I mean, Bob rock, thank God they got Bob to do the black album for all the reasons. Cause the songs are great. The production's amazing. Just everything about it is just, you know, right. it's the gold standard. Right. But, you know, also from a bass point of view, he put not just bass guitar, but he put low end in their mix in a way that that band had never had before and right. really nice and warm. And, and, you know, we know what that's like making records. That's what I was telling you, you know, watching your, your right hands, 
playing is and then I, I even the next couple of days i was watching some of your videos and stuff because you know what i mean nightmare and it's just one of my favorites you know and, uh, and that was the first time i saw you play when portnoy was in the band yeah. we should have like you should like take a drink every time every we time portnoy, okay right? every time mike portnoy right. gets portnoy the, yeah yeah let me let me crack drinking, my drink I'm, real quick <laughs> there you go there you i'm go. drinking coffee and water here you go but cheers all yeah, right cheers cheers there we go. Cheers to Portnoy. I'm drinking a THC uh, seltzer anyway, so it's not full booze. Perfect. Right we should probably it. take six drinks because I think we've mentioned it. Yeah, that much yeah so far. you got to get caught but, up. Get caught <laughs> but uh, he, uh, he, um, he, he was he played on your record and invited me down uh, to see the show, and I thought that was so rad, dude. When you're you had that guy that jumped that gets up and then jumps off the truss. And yeah, the guy that the hanging, hanging, the hanging. Oh, dude, that was about as Alice Cooper. 1974 as you could get man Dude, i mean you know, that was we loved having that and that's a that's a great uh uh pull there with alice cooper i think it was very much that as well uh but i without going too far but uh the guy that used to do that for us uh passed not too long mm-hmm. ago actually we, oh. we, found, we found where i think it was like a year or so ago um so sorry to hear that yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a real bummer called him cowboy rest in peace cowboy um yeah yeah, yeah that, that was a, that was a was, fun gig we tried to get a bunch of people that was pretty to do metal that. Yeah. Well, there was, yeah. it was a crew guy too. He was one of the stagehands. So it was like, can you imagine if that's the VIP experience, right? You get to jump oh, off the stage, jump off the, yeah. People want to do it. VIP man. People want to do yeah. it. Cowboy was the only one no. nuts enough to do it. You go up there on those, you think it's like, Oh, oh I could do that. You go looking, looking yeah. up at it. You're like go walk up there in those trusts and tell me you're, you're going to feel comfortable jumping off. Well, the funny thing was, I remember because I was standing out there talking to Mike, and then uh, and we met briefly. He introduced us as you guys were coming in the dressing room. Right, so, right, right. That was like I went before out, we went on the show. There was that was like that. Yeah. You, it's in Phoenix where you around Phoenix where you live. What is that venue? Because it has like that long park belt or something along the side of it. They call it the Tempe Town Lakes area, is what it was. Okay. Yeah, and it was kind of this big grassy knoll area, and then yeah, then they had some, right, some right. trailers. That was and stuff that was the there. first time we briefly met, as I recall. Yep, yep. And so I went out front. I was talking to Marlene, uh, Mike's wife, and, mm-hmm. um, hanging out. And um, yeah, and then I remember because Cowboy, now they know who he is. He was laying down. He didn't notice it. You're sitting at stage, kind of house music's playing. You're thinking, okay, band's going on. I'm sitting on over this guy gets up <laughs> up on the up on the on the truss. He like gets up and he's kind of walking around and, and maybe he was kind of he's really playing it up like like he just woke up right yeah. and then all of a sudden like just jumps off and, and of course hangs himself and swinging. You know, if anyone didn't see it, it's it's worth finding some video of it. It was yeah. fucking so metal. <laughs> Thank but, you. But um, yeah, <laughs> I was like, no, that's fucking awesome, man. So. Uh, <laughs> First impression, you know, Paul Stanley said that, and I'll. We should probably take a drink because Paul was another good dude, right? Oh yeah, I got to right. see. I got Paul to see his uh, Motown band at uh, Chris Santos's wedding uh, last year. Oh, the the uh, the Soul Soul Station thing, right? Yeah, exactly. That there was, yeah. How was that? Fucking incredible, man! I had no. And I'm a. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about it before, but I'm, I'm a huge Motown fan too. So, and he's got like all the. You know, it's Paul Stanley, so he's got like all the best players yeah. and uh, band director. Yeah. I I don't remember any of their names. It's the only time I got to see it, so I apologize to all them. <laughs> but no, well, it was it's like a really. Year. I mean, I remember when he was riddling off um, their resume, basically in between songs of who they were, right. the band, and he's like, the, he's like, I'm just here because I'm a Motown fan, and I can maybe sing some of these songs. These guys are the ones that put it all together. So it was really, yeah, yeah. it was really cool. And yeah, he did kill it. I mean. There's some Otis Redding in there that he just nailed. And I was like, 
That's that's sick. I almost well, like, he he almost said like something. Than I know that's going to be sacrilegious, but I almost like the better oh, than yeah. kiss. <laughs> well, it's funny. I just saw them. I saw them the third time on this end of the road tour. My buddy uh, had hit me and said, uh, "Hey, you want to go see Kiss?" I said, yeah, sure. Why not? So it was great, and it was. And he bought the whole Paul Stanley stage smash guitar VIP package thing, right? So yeah. I was, I was just, you know, I'm kind of hanging back because I know the Kiss guys, and we've done shows with them and stuff. So I'm kind of hanging back, just out of respect. It's like you know, let the fans have be at the front. He's like, Dude, right. "Come up here, get in the pit." I'm like really? Should I? I don't know. Should I put my hair back? I don't know. What should I do? You know, so I'm like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm going to go down on the pit and watch Kiss. You know, and at that point, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go be a fan, you know, because I really am a fan first and foremost. And they're, you know, they, I will always be a student of Kiss. Let's put it this way. You know, I will, I have studied them. I, the first time I saw them and, you know, when I was 13 years old when my mom took me to see them, you know, back in Minnesota, you know, I, I just looked at it like it was like this rocket ship or this jet airplane. I'm going, how in the hell, how do they do that? Like, you know, and I had my little bands, I had a little Cessna, right? If they were a jumbo jet, I was a Cessna, right? And I'm going, <laughs> I got to get, how do they do this? And I, I swear to God, Johnny, I've spent my life's pursuit, you know, figuring out how that's done. Right. And of course, then I got to do it. Now you do it and see metallic to do it and slipknot. And, you know, so now we're now you and me are doing it. Right. But, yeah. you know, there's always that band where you, you study them and you're just like, these guys, you know, are the, are the, are the shizba. And, you know, to this day, I mean, he said, Paul said one thing that was great. He said, you know, you don't ever remember the whole show. You just remember moments of the show. So the old point of the Kiss show is is to create moments that you remember, right? The breathing fire, he flies out to the audience. You know, you, cowboy jumps off and swings, <laughs> right? So that's where I was going with this. Yeah, yeah. It was a moment, right? Because you don't remember the whole show. You don't remember every note, every move, yeah. and everything. If you do, you're um, not having a good enough time. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So that that's the thing that I that that, that you know, with Kiss... Because, you know, it's funny because it was somebody brought it up. They said, you know, think about it. Until Kiss came along, nobody even had a drum riser. Like the Who, drums are on the floor. Led yeah. Zeppelin, the drums are on the floor. Once Kiss came along, drum riser. We all have drum risers. Right? I think Mike, I think Mike, hey, another another Portnoy. I think Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike <laughs> right. told me that when he came on the show years ago. I got to have him back on now, but yeah. But you're right. I mean, they they brought. I mean, they brought the the theatrics to, to the rock world. Yep. I mean, it was it was them and, and Alice and Alice Cooper, as we mentioned and Alice too. Cooper, yep. That was that was it. You know, I'm putting picks on the mic stand. I mean, we all do that now because Kiss did it. Like they were the first ones, right? And then Cheap Trick did it. Now, of course, we all do it. Yeah. Uh, pyro. I don't know if anybody had Pyro before Kiss. I couldn't. I, 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 not not I that I know of. Not that I know of, and I mean, I was young back when they were coming out, but I don't remember anyone that had fucking pyro, you know. And then, and also the wall of amps. Now people had kind of done it, you know. Woodstock and Jimi Hendrix had, you know, three Marshalls, but you know, to have like I got my Kiss lunchbox over here, Kiss Alive, and it's you know when you when you see that, you're like, come on. Rad. And you know, it's funny the other day when I saw him, right when I went out before the show started, I walk out. And, you know, in the back of Kiss Alive, there's a whole arena full of people, and they're all sitting down, right, in chairs. Mm. And the other day in Palm Desert, I walk out, I say to my friend Scott, I go, dude, it's the fucking back of the Alive album. Like, everyone's sitting down. They've got chairs. They probably don't at, at your shows and Megadeth shows. We never had chairs because it was fucking mosh pit, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, unless there's unless it's an amphitheater, right? you know. <laughs> can't, yeah, can't, right, can't help exactly. it at an amphitheater. These chairs out of here, man. 
if you don't, the fans will. Right. So, but yeah, the kids show was just, I was going, Oh my God. If, if there was like two people in the front that remember they had that sign, we love you kiss or whatever oh, yeah, it yeah. says. I, I forgot what it says. You know, I was like thinking, God, look at this, man. I mean, talk about creating a culture of people that it's just, and that, and look, that's what rock and roll is. Right. And that's what our bands have done. Right. We create Absolutely. a culture when our fans go there. It's not just going to hear some songs to see the dudes on the stage. It's like, you're part of a tribe, you're part of a culture. And, and that's what I enjoyed just as much with your show. I was just like, man, I'd seen ghost about a month before. Same thing. Great, you know, Tobias has done such a good job at that, man. I mean, yeah. these, 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 you know, the sisters of sin, right. The young, the young, you know, they get, they get their nun outfits on. I mean, it's a so, culture, you know, it's like a whole thing. You know? And they've can, and he's continually been able to grow that vision. You know, like, like yeah. after their first album, we took them out with Deftones for a, a little bit, and they they mm-hmm. had the the theatrics already built in, but it wasn't to this this level yet. This was back in like 2013. Yeah. So now, ten years right. later, it's great to see them grow, or and Tobias grow to the point where he can yeah. imagine his his vision a little bit grand, yeah. a little bit more grandiose, and bring in those those elements. So I think that's just, that comes with. That comes with growth, as you know, you know, and it's, but it's, yeah. it's cool when you've seen it from the beginning to where it is now. And it's just, uh, couldn't be happier for, for Tobias and the, and the crew. Well, like he says, you know, it's fantasy. So there kind of is no end to it, right? You can just yeah. kind of keep creating. And second thing, Kiss was the same thing to some degree. There's no end to the, what you can create with that, which is, which is pretty cool. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, it's funny how, you know, a couple of my favorite bands, you know, Ghost and Kiss, they were that, you know, that's, they, they've kind of, you know, there's the man behind the mask, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And even though we know what Kiss looks like, there was always thing when I was a kid, it's like, wow, what do they look like? We only you know, know what they look always... like because of the Lick It Up uh, uh, video. That's the only reason. Totally. <laughs> when that totally, came out. It's totally, totally <laughs> true, man. It's totally true. And they, 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 they thought of the whole, like, they, they put the, you know, the handkerchief over their face and, you know, it's it's kind of like, what, but what a what a great you know that's the it was whole a good it was a good roll. it was a good rib on themselves that they put in uh, are they allowed to be put I don't know who wrote the movie the Detroit Rock City movie that they came out with like in the late or the early two thousands <clears> then like right. it's it's going back to like their roots right and these these fans in high school that are following them and trying to go to the show I don't know if you saw this movie but uh, I did not see it. No, I didn't at one point they, they make a joke. Like they're the, the guys are all like super rock and roll metalhead guys, like kiss for life, Knights and Satan service, yeah. all of it ready to go. <laughs> and they're like in the car with like some disco kids. And they're like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if kiss made a disco disco song because it's so hot right now. They're like, never, right. never would it happen. And then they're like, <laughs> I'm like watching it going, oh, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? I would think the same thing. And, you know, you'd appreciate this. So, oh, what's going on, everyone? Brando here. Haven't been around for a while because I am busy. You know, I'm working five jobs to feed 10 kids. And when it comes to dinner, I'm just looking for an easy way out. But there is a great thing that I have found to make my day a little easier. Factor Meals. Right now, I've got a black pepper and sage pork chop. I'm going to eat it right here on air with you because I want you to hear in real time how good this thing really is. So it's got a nice little sauce on it, nice grill marks. Like this thing is ready to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. This is some quality 
quality pork right here. The nice thing is, it's healthy. The amount of protein in this meal is broken down for me on the side of the package. I don't even have to worry about it. I know once I eat this whole thing, my macros are gonna be imbalanced. This is this is what I need. This is good. Oh my god. It took two minutes for me to microwave this thing. All I had to do was sign up. Meals get shipped right to my house every week. They have a wide selection to choose from. Dude, they had dill-crusted chicken. They had chili. You wanna check it out? Head over to factormeals.com slash drinkswithj50 and use code drinkswithj50 to get 50% off. That's code drinkswithj50 at factormeals.com slash drinkswithj50 to get 50% off. Yeah. I know, it's a mouthful, but so is this meal. So I'm going to keep eating it because, man, this is good. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a five-star review. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and become a premium member. You'll get to enjoy unreleased clips from your favorite guests, discounts on merchandise in our shop, and access to our private Discord server where you can chat one-on-one with Johnny Christ himself. Awesome! So stay tuned, stay thirsty, and stay filthy as fuck. It's 1978, let's call it right. So right before, you know, Dynasty came out with I Was Made for Loving You. So that era, you know, was all about um, it was, you know, punk rock, like the Sex Pistols, so right. Sid Vicious, and, you know, of course, we know now Glenn Matlock played on the records. Great bass playing, um, you know, and then, of course, Kiss and Disco, right? So those were the three big things going on, punk rock, Kiss, and Disco. And talk about this weird convergence, and it's a bass player. Of course, you know, Gene, he's the ultimate, man. Spit, nice. blood, breathe, fire, and seven-inch heels, and fucking be a monster and play awesome bass, right? Some of the, and great, then disco, of the greatest walking bass lines in, in, in rock and I mean, roll, man. Great. I, you know, it's funny, man. For as big as of a Kiss fan as I am, I didn't have, I hardly played any of their songs growing up because they were too hard to play. I couldn't <laughs> play them, right? <laughs> and I didn't know anybody in any bands. I knew guys that, like, had, you know, the, the electroharmonics, Big Buff Pie, right? Like, that was kind of the first distortion unit, the MXR Distortion Plus, right? These guys could play Ted Nugent, you know, maybe. Sweet home Alabama, some Skinner and stuff. I'm like, fuck, man, these guys are awesome. These guys are great fucking guitar players. I, I joined one of those bands. I was 12 and they were 16, right? And, mm. you know, they always made me a better bass player. I was kind of the younger guy getting pulled up into all the bands, right? I'd get called because I, I could play good, but those older guys made me better. But nobody yeah. played Kiss songs, man. It's like, it was just too, it was just too, like, awesome. To touch him. I don't think anyone wanted to touch him. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. But yeah. I remember when we were making, euthanasia max norman our producer we were talking about cover songs and we did we didn't put any covers on the record but we did uh i think we did we do parasite i can't remember i think maybe we played parasite or something or, or there was there's was one there was an ace fraley's song by kiss and we ended up covering it and it just went on like a box set or something later but but i remember max was saying that he goes man this British accent, right? He's like, man, there's just some songs you don't fucking touch because you can't do them better. When we talk about like Hotel California, most Zeppelin songs, most Beatles songs, yeah. you know, you just, you don't even touch them, man. They're, and I think Kiss is like that. It's like, you just, you know, except maybe Cold Gin and some bar band or something, you know, it's, but other than that, fuck it, they're, they're hard to play. You know, in fact, even that, you know, I guess you can't probably hear it, but that, you know, the whole, the, Right, the 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 Detroit Rock City. Uh, the, boom, 
dude. And it's flat wound strings with a pick. You yeah. know, it's like you listen to it. It's like it's kind of a disco lick. You hear it? It's like this is fucking awesome, man. It's like even <laughs> you can hear the finger noise yeah. sliding around. Right. And I'm just like, what a great lick, man. You know, so <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well, so while we're talking about influences, obviously, and, and other bass players that we're, that we're fans of, you know, what was it like? I mean, I know it can seem like a bit of a typical question, but when was it that you knew you wanted to be a bass player? And, like, was there – I feel like for all of us, I can speak for myself, like I remember, like, the first time I realized I wanted to play bass was hearing Cliff Burton's Anastasia uh, bass solo. And then mm-hmm. later on, uh, starting to actually feel like I can transcribe some of my favorites, you know, starting to play less Claypool lines and stuff like that. And that's when I yeah. just felt different about the instrument. I, I was curious to see if you had any moments like that. You know, that's a great question. Um, for me, it's funny that I wanted to play the bass right from the beginning. You know, I wasn't like a guitar player so my musical history is like I was about eight years old. My mom and dad, I grew up on a farm in Minnesota and it was a big family farm, you know, that's been in our family since the 1800s. So it's like a big centennial farm. And, um, you know, I think farming was pretty good in the seventies cause I was pretty comfortable. You know, we had a lot of nice shit, you know, indoor swimming pool and it was pretty good. Right. Oh, so wow. it, was, yeah. it was nice, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, were, yeah, <laughs> on a farm, you know, yeah, it was, it was and, uh, indoor swimming so pool. I learned how to farm. clean a pool, by the way, it was like being the pool guy out. Yeah, Fuck, you know, <laughs> but it beat doing farm work, and it yeah. allowed me to go in the basement and play my bass. You know, there you go. But um, so, and it's funny. I'd go hang out with my mom all the time in the kitchen, which taught me to learn how to cook and bake, so I could fucking take care of myself when I'd go out and be a poor musician when I left home and went to Hollywood. And it's key, you know. There's a lot. You know, there's yeah. a lot of times where you gotta you gotta figure out how to how to put something together yeah. for yourself. It's like, how do I cook this top ramen? For <laughs> exactly. Cost 45 cents. Yeah, I'm just going to go <laughs> grab the hot water from the gas station. <laughs> exactly. Eddie Van Halen always talked about musician soup. I've tasted musician soup. Believe me, I know. It's fucking, yeah. it's when you're poor and don't have much, you know. But, yeah. but no, so I, um, so my parents, they bought a Wurlitzer organ, and um, which was pretty cutting edge at the time. It had a cassette player in it, which was brand new because back then eight tracks and vinyl were the thing. Mm. So I took lessons from the church organist who lived, you know, a couple of miles down the road. And, um, and so, you know, treble clef on the right hand, bass clef on the left hand, and then the foot pedals were bass clef. So, you know, as I'd read these three staff, you know, just simple kumbaya kind of songs, you know. Right. But, you see, you know, it taught me the coordination. I, I read music. I can read manuscript, you know. So, um, in fact, as tablature would come in later, it, it I didn't understand it. I was like, how the fuck are they doing here? I don't even know what this is. It took me a while to understand it because I learned manuscript, you know. Right. So I learned that, you know, you know, an E is 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 an E, right? So I learned, you know, later I would move those notes over to the fingerboard of the bass. So to me, I wasn't about, let me just learn the bass. It's like, I, I learned the language of music first, right? Mm-hmm. Through by way of a keyboard instrument. And then I took up the tenor saxophone in fifth grade. Not really because I wanted to play it, but, you know, it's like, okay, you got to either be a jock or a bookworm or, 
Yeah, fuck it. I'll join the band. What instrument looks cool? Ah, the sax looks pretty cool. So yeah. I took that up, you know. Some sexy and, about um, that saxophone, though, man. You got if you. Well, if you I would play. later learn like that's the one all the ladies like. I should have gotten better at it. <laughs> I think it has something to do it. with how you how you how you blow the horn. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. The old SNL or the real like you know late night jazz. <laughs> but no, I, I blew it on that one. But but you know it wasn't for me. And then you know then I'm on the school bus like we had me and my brother we'd ride the bus for like an hour uh picked up on the farm and then taken into the town to you know go to school so one year uh the pastors from our church his son was driving the bus and he was cool his name was dwight he had long hair he's like a rocker dude you know and 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 he was listening to um wls am out of chicago which would because it was am it would broadcast you know that far over to minnesota and that station would play everything from like Chicago, 10 CC, you know, these kind of things. But they would also, you know, early sticks, Bachman Turner Overdrive, early kiss, shout it out loud, rock and roll all night, this kind of stuff. So that and, and also sweets. I remember Sweet Ballroom Blitz when that came out, man. Wow. That that was that was a fucking game changer, man. When I heard those guitars, those electric guitars and the guy singing like, you ready, Steve? Uh-huh. Man. You know, it's like, I was just like, I want to do that. Like, yeah, that's... That sounds fun. That's... That sounds <laughs> really... I don't want to be a fireman or a policeman anymore. I want to fucking do that. That's yeah. cool, you know? And so... I remember a buddy of mine, like my Sunday school buddy, I'd go over to his house and his older brother had like a, a sunburst, you know, Stratocaster kind of guitar that he bought like out of the Sears catalog or something. And and I remember looking at it just like, oh my God, like this is just amazing. And and I couldn't figure out how to play it. So, you know, I, I for some reason, the bass guitar called to me and on the back of the Kiss records, like Kiss Alive and stuff, it said, you know, Kiss used Gibson guitars and Pearl drums because they want the best. You know, just like in the back of your record, you know, it's Event Sevenfold use, you know, Schecter guitars because they want the best, you know, yeah, just like yeah. me, Jackson guitars. We know that's an endorsement now, right? But um, so I wanted a Gibson. And sure enough, in the local newspaper, a guy was selling a Gibson EBO. And it was a it was a cool one, as I would later learn, because it didn't have, you know, the tuners didn't stick up like this. They actually were, they kind of, they went back this way. Right. So there was like a violin tuner, which was a very very rare version of an ebo yeah i don't think i've seen that. um single pickup and you know it didn't it it it, it sounded like this right <laughs> it, it was like no treble i'm like it doesn't sound like firehouse off alive what the fuck i must have got sold a bunk instrument right how come it doesn't sound like gene simmons you know but you know it was a short scale so it was good for me as a little 11 12 year old kid and and honestly johnny i bought a uh from the music store because I was such a square and kind of a nerd, you know, I bought like Mel Bay, the electric bass volume one book and I opened it up, you know, and I just started playing, you know, C major scale. Right. Right. And, and learned those notes. Cause I knew the notes of the scale. I could read uh treble clef pretty good. Bass clef took me, I had to work on it a little bit. Um, but suddenly, you know, now I think always in terms of bass clef, you know, so I already knew music, you know, sharps, flats, key signatures, time signatures, you know, crescendo, all these, you know, kind of musical terms. So I, I just, I literally just flipped through the book and kept learning every page. And, and that's how I, I kind of, kind of self-taught myself a bit the bass because I knew the language of music. And that's probably 
I don't know. That's probably the takeaway of my story is I didn't just go, dude, I want to be in the band and get chicks. So get, what can I play? Give me a bass. You it know, wasn't just you know, that. It was partly that it was just, it was. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until much. Well, I just wanted to be like kiss. Yeah. I didn't realize all the rest of the perks of being kissed until right. much later, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, I remember being in a band, you know, that I'd, I'd have my bands. I started having bands by the time I was 12. I mean, I'm on stage at 12. I'm playing. People are actually paying me in my band by the time I, 13 wow. so i mean i've been on stages my whole life really you know yeah. kind of in the music business and because again once i saw kiss in february of 77 i was 13 and i saw them and then that just became my life pursuit it's like fucking that's what i'm doing and yeah. and for whatever reason i never had a backup plan and just because i don't think the good lord wanted me to have one i think he said this is you know go west young man this is what you're going to do with your life <laughs> there's gold in them there hills you yeah, know you go. go and <laughs> and i fucking went you know and that's that's it you that's know it's a beautiful thing man yeah i mean i, I know how about you what was your, what was your story playing i mean just growing up as a you know to get to get a bass in your hand how did how did it happen you know um there was a little bit of music in my house my brother was a guitar was playing was learning the guitar um, and we had like my, my dad's old nylon string acoustic in the corner and, uh, Casio, just like my watch here, Casio, uh, nice. uh, key. By the way, you got the awesome, I love those watches. Remember I said, yeah, you, you right were mentioning that when I saw you. Is it, Casio so, or a Timex. Yeah. The, the, well, it's the, it's the Casio. So it's not the Timex actually. So I, I did want to like, but it's, it's, it's the, yeah. it's the gold edition. So it's a little, little cooler. It's a true Americana. Well, <laughs> yeah. Japanese, Japanese just, Americana. As I told you before, I just love it. Cause like, uh, a lot of like people were like watch collectors and stuff. They'll have like yeah. these, you know, exorbitant amount of money worth oh, worth yeah. of watches. Totally. But they still they still, they still love this one. They still love this one. I've had witty watches of the same nature, and now lately I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I like these kind of cheap, cool watches. That's why I'm That's excited. Why I like I'm way like, better. Yeah, man after my own heart. I love it. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, so we had a Casio uh, keyboard in the living room. I don't know. Uh, my buddy was like, I, I, I'm had drum had a drum set and he was like gonna start a band it's like oh i got a keyboard at my house i'll play the keyboard and like started with that for like a hot second I was, and then it was like yeah you know i think we're gonna be more of a punk band so let's let, let's let's get you something else and i was like well i really like the bass i like the sound of it I, like yeah uh, uh, i have dabbled on the guitar at that point but i didn't want to be a guitar player so bass I, it came up i think it was my 12th birthday um yeah. I, I told my mother it was like that or a bike. So it took me until about 15 to learn how to ride a bike, by the way, because of this. I went, I went, I said, I said, nah, I want, I want the bass instead. So she went to the pawn shop, got me an Epiphone P bass and a Fender combo amp. And then from then on, I just started similar to you. Uh, I also grabbed yeah. a beginner's book on bass and uh, started flipping through the pages and just trying to learn that way. I don't think I ever actually finished that book. I didn't have a lot of music theory in me. It was more about yeah. it was more about the the feel and sound of it for me. And I just like kinda yeah. started learning that way and then surrounded myself by better musicians than myself, as you talked about too. Yeah, that helped yeah. push me each time, you know. You know, it's funny about that. I had a little my mom went to the to the music store, bought a little fender combo, right? A little fender twelve inch. I'm like, how do I blow this up like Kiss does? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's funny, you know, coming from a keyboard background, you know, it's like I I bought a piano. When I moved here to Scottsdale 30 years ago, you know, the negotiation was, you know, either a bill, bill, billiard table or a piano. All right. So the piano won out, which is great. You know, so I, you know, it's interesting with a bass, 
you know, because we learn patterns, right? Like right. say a G major scale, right? It's a pattern, right? So we can move that pattern, you know, E major scale. You just learn the patterns, right? And you move the patterns around. But on a on a keyboard instrument, as you would know, you're looking at octaves, right? So everything mm-hmm. is in these sort of set of octaves. And I took some piano lessons from this guy. In fact, Dave had found this kid. He was playing with the Boys and Girls Club here in town. He's about 16 years old. And now he works for David Foster. I mean, this guy was oh, really a protege. And so he came over and gave me some piano lessons. And he said, think of the piano not as a melody instrument. Think of it as a rhythm instrument. And I was like, so like, think about like Honky Cat or something by Elton John. Get back to Honky Cat. Get yeah. back to Honky Cat. Right? And I was thinking, that totally changed my whole scope on playing the keyboard instrument, right? right? Because it's like, right? Thinking it's kind of this more. Because I, I, I remember the I do want to say, I do want to say though, you playing the organ and keyboard and piano is very different than I did. I didn't have like lessons. Or, I was playing single yeah. note stuff in the corner of my living room. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure we I, had I, I, we had those we had all the all the the keys labeled with the yeah. you remember the like they used to have like the, totally. the video the VHS tape yeah. that came with the Casio and told you yeah, to put, right. put the put the like it was like a beginner's way of learning where the keys I, were yeah right yeah like the bouncing ball you exactly know, <laughs> that's what I was doing man I was <laughs> and every once in a while I have fun putting on like the the pre demo like music on it and just like playing over. it. <laughs> You get jammed to it, but I, dude, I can totally see you over there. Like you're in like video, kill the radio star. Like, you're like Mr. K Rock guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. piano. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny. I like what you said though. I, I, I play. I learned to play. I played the bass in twelve. I learned the bike in fifteen. Yeah, smart man. That's a true musician, right? That's a true fucking rocker, right there. That's yeah, right. It's fun though. Um, <laughs> let's let, let, there's a few other things we got to get to before we before we sure. wrap this up, and uh, yeah. you know, so but we got time. We got as long as you got time. I don't want to take too much. Yeah, of yeah, time. of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, uh, real quick today, as as we're hearing this episode, or as the fans are listening or watching to it right now, it's been a week now that, since the announcement of your European solo tour that you're going to be doing here in yeah uh, here coming up. Um. I, I read the press release. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about that and, and get a, an idea of what that looks like. Because from the press release, it sounds like you got a group of guys that you've been friends with for a long time, going to play some of the songs yeah. that you've done. Uh, I, I assume a lot of them from the Megadeth years. Um, sure, for and, sure, yeah. And then some storytelling uh, in between stuff. Is that... Um, That's exactly it, yeah. You know, I started a concept a few years ago. Okay, Ryan Downey. We should probably Again, have yeah. a drink for Every him now since we've mentioned him twice. Yeah. So Ryan Downey back in 2014, he had hit me up. He said, Hey, I just put out a book, uh, my my memoir, My Life with Death. <clears throat> D-E-T-H, by the way, as in Megadeth. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, Hey, the promoter wants to bring you to Australia to do like a spoken word tour. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Isn't that like sitting in a coffee shop, like telling stories like, well, you know, Mike Myers, like, honey, I married an ex murderer or whatever. Oh, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the poet. The poet. poet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, that's what I thought. I'm like, so, good. so I'm like, well, look, I can talk, you know, we, like we talked about earlier, guys like you and me can talk about probably damn near anything for about an hour. Right. But I yeah. figured, well, let me bring my base. I've done a bunch of clinics. I'll kind of make it, clinic storyteller thing so this tour across australia is really where i kind of got the idea for it 
And I came home from that. I went in the studio in Nashville and recorded uh, Dystopia, the Megadeth album. And um, which was funny because I recorded that album. It was me and Dave. I sat there and basically recorded the bass to a click. I didn't have any guitars. I didn't have any drums. We hadn't rehearsed the song. He was literally showing me the parts and I was sitting down just grinding it to the fucking click, right? Whoa. And yeah, like, so it was, which I would say is a pretty good testimony, not only to my sort of, you know, pillar in, in that band and that sound, but also to me and Dave's ability to sort of finish each, finish each other's musical sentences. You know what I mean? And like we would play something and 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 we would stop and go, fuck, that sounds a lot like something we did on Black Friday, right? Or you know, because in, in in Megadeth, and maybe you guys are here too, after a while you make so many records, the real challenge was to not repeat yourself, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, we don't I don't want to we don't want this to sound like something we did like on Rust in Peace or something, right? So it's always challenging, right? But so I do I may, I record that, which was, you know fun and very painstaking but but it was it was great i walked out of that going i can't believe i think this is the first record ever in the history of the world where the bass player cut to a click track before even the and, drums. and again didn't know the songs didn't rehearse them didn't you know it's not like we were a band and you know we were so you know wild. so i was like i, 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 was I don't think i could do it dude i don't think i could do it dave like i'm right? sitting here listening tr- to it right now i'm going <laughs> i mean could i painstakingly as you said get through it and play a certain ability to it sure but right i guess that leads me to my question on this is when you listen back to that album is there do you have any regrets at, or do you maybe not regrets maybe that's too strong of a word but things that had you'd heard the songs in their right. totality before you may have approached them differently you know that is a great question because yeah i I don't know about you, but after probably like the late nineties, um, when we started making records with Dan Huff down in Nashville, in particular the Cryptic Writings record, I said, Look, let's get the drums down. Let's have Dave put record rhythm guitars. Because let's face it, in a metal band, the drums and the guitars are the building blocks. They're they're the foundation. Drums and rhythm guitar, then bass. Then bass is like pouring the mortar to glue the shit together, right? So and 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 as you because then you know how big to get your tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sort of, and like, like, you know, in a pop thing, you know, and I've played, as you probably have some other records where, you know, it's more based around the vocal. I'll be like, man, if you can put everything down, I'll come in and play bass last because then I can play the bass part. But then if there's a vocal thing or maybe there's a keyboard thing or whatever, that suddenly you go, of. you know what? I can get kind of cool and licky right here in this part without which, which like you said, I wouldn't have thought of that had I not heard it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I think probably the difference with dystopia and being a metal band is again, I, I, as a creator of the vocabulary of, of the, of that song of, of that, of that band sound, you know, um, you know, you kind of know where the turns are, you know, what you know what it made me realize is like all Megadeth songs are basically eighth notes or 16th notes with triplets in between. Right. Like this like Right. I mean I'm simplifying it, but as I did it, because you know, as as you're sitting as I was sitting there doing, I'm going, I have probably played every fucking algebraic 
combination of geometry and i mean it was like a math project i'm not gonna lie it was, mm. my brain was smoking and hurting after i did it i I'll mean it was it. just kind of like it was like okay how many times can you go right so <laughs> i love how you simplify it david because <laughs> right. I'm, I'm i'm thinking about it too all the songs i listened to i was like yep he's not wrong <laughs> right and in your band it's the same thing because oh, you yeah. guys have a style you know there's a yeah thing for the most the part yeah I mean, and you end up and for the most part i mean it's not true for everything obviously but a lot of times, at least earlier on, too, we wrote in this. I mean, every song was written essentially in the same key because you just go right. back to that key and it totally. just makes it easier. You know, uh, modulations come later, you know, as we started to expand our sound and stuff. But like, yeah, early on, it was I mean, pretty sure the entire Waking the Fallen records all in the same D minor. Uh, I remember B. I had a little band when Megadeth wasn't active, the F5, and we had the same thing. We wrote all these really cool, heavy songs, and the guys were younger than me, right? So this is the transition where I went from being the uh, youngest guy to now I'm the oldest guy, right? And these right. guys are all fans of mine. So I come in, and they're all tuning. They're doing the whole drop B, half step down, drop D, different tunings. They're using diesel amps and Mesa and, you know, the, the new generation, right? Which obviously you're a part of, right? So the new generation. So I became a student of musicians younger than me, as I've done with your band. You know, I'm like, okay, what are they doing here? What's going on? How are they doing it? Um, and, and, I, and I liked it. In fact, I remember when we took Alice in Chains out with us in 1991 going, coming home and going how the fuck are they doing it that sounds so cool and then dropping you know the you know the e string down to a d and you know man in a box gun 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 so there i was like ah there it is yeah. that's the sound and i remember writing some riffs and drop d and bringing them into to the band for countdown to extinction and dave's like we're not fucking doing that right <laughs> so they got thrown out immediately like all right i'll save that for a later well figured you know i don't know 10 years later i have f5 and it's like i literally i had a cassette sitting right here by my window that had a whole bunch of riffs from countdown to extinction some leftover shit and and i was like i brought it into f5 and they almost all of them worked i was like this is fucking great because i could tune them down you know put them into yeah. some more younger modern ears you know and 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 these guys are like oh that's fucking great and it didn't sound like countdown at all because it was a different tuning and a different thing right. you know so um but uh but yeah we we, we wrote a record in, in in one key and, and we had a producer come in he goes after he hears all the songs and he's go uh, the first thing he says he goes you guys realize all your songs are in the same key. We're like, fuck, he's right. They are. <laughs> They're all in. So, so then, he, you know, as producers do, they come in and they open the hood and they start taking the engine apart, ripping shit apart. And, you know, let's put it back together. And hopefully it's a, a better beast faster on the road and everything else. And, and he did, he made us, he made us a better band, you know, as producers tend to do. And, and I don't know about you, but I, you know, producers have been my best bass teachers. You know, they have taught me the most as I've been a, you know, uh, a recording artist and, and, you know, you know, the, the, you know, we practice different, right? Like if we're just sitting around, we're noodling, right? Like after I saw your show, I pick up the PV, I start suddenly I'm writing shit. I'm inspired. Right. So right. thank you for that. So oh, appreciate the inspiration. Honor. And, yeah. And likewise, and your right hand technique, I'm like, fuck man, that, how does he do that? <laughs> like, that's like Steve Harris level shit going on right there. Right. Oh man. That's and, such an honor coming from you, man. I appreciate it. It really is. It's great, man. Cause your band is so heavy. You know what I mean? It's such a, it's such a weighted sound and the bass just fucking anchors it so well. 
you know, but then of course, when you're practicing to go in the studio, now you're, you know, when you're writing, you're not really practicing. You're just sort of letting it all go and creating. And, and, um, you know, I love how you guys, you know, I was reading that revolver interview with you guys and I was talking to Brian too about, you know, just take acid and go fucking make, write a record, you know, and all this <laughs> stuff, just go crazy, you know? And so, but then you go in the studio and now you're, now you're practicing parts because you're committing to a, a line that you're going to need to execute well in the studio right? right and time is money in the studio and and then of course you know some months go by and now it's time to get the show together so now you're practicing for a performance you know um you're you're getting your gear together and how does this bass fit when i put a jacket on or if you're in ghost it's a costume or you know <laughs> what i mean it's it's right or kiss so you know now you're getting into it. the performance mode, right? Yeah. So we go through these different stages of playing, and they all are part of making us the players that we are. You right. know, it's um, the Mel similar. Bay Bass Book days are long gone. You yeah. know, and now we're <laughs> at a different phase. I mean, it's but back to your tour that you asked me about, like I don't know, eighteen minutes ago. The tour will be exactly what we just did. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna. I was gonna ask. Cuts. I was gonna ask. I, I was, that, that that was pretty much a little. A, a little yeah. teaser into it. Uh, I guess on that real quick though, uh, just so the fans who are going to come out in Europe and, 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 and catch this, like what they, what I guess further, if they want to expect something, are you going to be playing the same songs throughout this tour and telling uh, similar stories? Do you think, or are you just going to be kind of improv in a lot of ways of the stories that come to you when you're playing those songs? A lot of it's improv. I mean, like the look, the fact, all the stuff we just talked about, right? We just made it up, right? We right. didn't. You didn't send me a script or say, "Hey, these are the questions." Just <laughs> no. fuck it. We just wing it, right? So, right. on on stage, it'll be the same thing. And I mean, ultimately, I'd like to make it like this tour is base warrior. I'd like to make it base warriors, where I call you and hey, dude, let's you and me and maybe fucking Robert Trujillo or Webster from Cannibal Corpse. We all go out and we do this, right? And wow. with one house band, you know, suddenly you can play your tunes, I'll play mine. You know, he can play some of his and, you know, like a bass G3 kind of thing. It would be, wow. it's kind of, that's really kind of my ultimate vision for it. Well, is that's to, cool, man. Is to expand it. Yeah. Well, you, you got my number, so. <laughs> let, I do. Let me know. I do. We'll see you're, what we can do. First on the list. <laughs> Bring the keyboard. That'll yeah. be for a good <laughs> That's conversation. What I'll, but I, I, I still need to put the the letters on on the on the white keys for sure. <laughs> hey, I'll bring the saxophone, you know. There like, we go. It. Now we're now we're getting sexy with it. I like now it. Now we're getting going, man. Yeah, so that, that that is it. It's storytelling, it's it's playing some deep cuts. Uh you know, Andy's the guitar player is a dear friend of mine. <clears throat> We've written you know, several records together. He's a lot of fun, great energy. He's also a president and teacher at a, uh, like kind of like a, a musician's institute over in Italy, oh, wow. uh, a yeah. real music school. So he's a very educated guy. You know, a lot of the musicians he gets are from Italy. So like they don't even hardly speak English, which is a whole other level of musical thing. Right. You know, when you turn your, you put your guitars on, you play the same song, you're speaking the same language. And then when the music stops, you're like, Oh yeah, he doesn't really speak much English. Hey Andy, can you tell him to do da 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 da? Translator, got to have the translator. The translator, out there. yeah, and, and he's great at it. And so he really, he, he really, you know, I've done. Uh, I had this base story thing, and that's what came, what I came home from. Um, you know, from Australia, I created base story, and I I did that in America. I did actually a whole world tour. I did South America, Europe, America with that back in twenty nineteen, I guess. So you know, that's kind of how this has been going. Well, that's really cool, man. I can't wait to see some stuff from it, some clip outs and 
whatever. And then hopefully you'll, you'll do something like that in the States. So I'd love to come check it out. Um, the other project you've been working on, I just listened to. We just uh, we were just talking yesterday to get this uh, this recording done. Um, so I went and watched, uh, started listening to the Dieth record. Yeah, it was very. It was not what I was expecting. I know you described it to me when we were in Phoenix. It was like more thrashy, but it, it definitely goes on on the like somewhere between thrash and death metal too, with the with the vocals <clears> the way that they are. Right. Um, and I was like, these are really cool riffs. It's great, but. Uh, I got to be honest. I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, where, where's Dave in it? Where's my classic Dave Ellis and bass lines in this? You know. And then all of a right. sudden, <coughs> track comes up, "Free Us All," and it's such a fun track. Right. There's like, it goes into several different parts. And it's way more adventurous. And then, lo and behold, I get to hear some more uh, Dave Ellis and classic bass lines. <coughs> so, just right. wanted to ask you about how that project came came to be, and let everyone know where they can go check that out too. Well, it's interesting. Thank you for bringing that up. By the way, <clears throat> you know, so it's interesting how that band <clears throat> what 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 do you guys tune to do you have like a standard tuning most of our songs band? are in a drop are in a, a drop d standard <clears throat> drop d okay so <clears throat> dieth is c you know which again musically for me i always think of it here mm-hmm. so i it's weird to do the whole drop i'm cool with but <clears throat> when you move, <clears throat> move a, excuse me an instrument to a whole other tuning it's weird for me because I, you know, when I see third fret, I, I think of C, right? Mm-hmm. Or I think of G or whatever, right? So to sort of <clears throat> musically, I hate to call it dumbing down, but kind of just dumb down and sort of forget the musicality of the instrument and just go, I don't know, third fret, bro, there's the note, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, I've never done very good with that kind of, that kind of thing. <clears throat> um, so what I did with, with that band uh, to make the record, <laughs> excuse me, is I, I tuned up from, you know, so if, if this is a B, I tuned up a half step so that now the low B is basically kind of my, you know, my new E string, if you will. Right. Cause you're insane. And so that, yeah, rather than tuning down, I tuned up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and, you know, like you say, free us all. It's funny. I was kind of going for a, just kind of using my jazz band stuff, you know, then Kind of this, you know, this walking thing, right? And right I, can, I can see the walk, so I know what it's doing, but I still can't. Hear. Yeah, <laughs> but I see, right. I see what I see what it is there. <laughs> you see what it is, right? And, and really, that's inspired by the drums, right? Because the drums are doing this, this kind of a a swing thing. Um, so that's where I went with that. And then there's a break in the middle where I do this kind of Aerosmith. I know you can't hear it, but. Hmm. This sort of sweet emotion kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, so I'm kind of going to the, you know, kind of borrowing this 70s Aerosmith vibe. So that was a tune that, you know, was able to really kind of go, not even to vintage David Ellison, if you will, you know, vintage Megadeth stuff, yeah, no, but to was, really but it was, di- it was somewhere was, else. Yeah, yeah, but it was still, right. I, 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 I said it a little bit more grossly, but it's it's just the idea that, like, for me, I mean, we talked about Metallica too in the recordings before. Like, you knew right. of how amazing Cliff was because he had his standout parts with this with the distorted bass, like and for whom right. the bell tolls and Anastasia, as I mentioned. But it wasn't as <clears throat> prominent, you know, unless you were looking for it as a fellow bassist. It wasn't as prominent in the mixes on the albums we listened to. But with Megadeth, I always was able to find your your bass and what it was doing, you know, more a lot easier, you know, like. 
everything yeah. on Rust in Peace and Countdown to Extinction. And I mean, we talked about it in Phoenix too. I mean, how cool is it that your bass ref from Peace Cells ends up being the MTV News fucking thing for a decade, you know? <coughs> I mean, that's one of those freebies in life, right? <clears throat> in fact, I remember, I might have told you this. <clears throat> you know, we had the apartment that me, Dave, and Chris Poland lived at. And, uh, you know, we're, Chris is sitting there doing the dishes in the, uh, in the, in the, in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, you know, the, we always had MTV. I always had the TV on in the background, right? <clears throat> Usually the MTV. And, you know, one day they're like, MTV, do, 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 do. You heard it first, right? Yeah. And Chris is like, holy shit, was that our song? And then we wait, and then the next time they do it, it's the DJ scratch, right? MTV News. You heard it here, right? Yeah, yeah. You heard it first. So it would always go back and forth. And the truth of it is, is that, you know, that thing was on MTV for the years that we were basically on tour. So I missed the whole fucking thing. Like, I, I would hear it once in a while, but, yeah, I mean, literally, I could probably count it on a handful Dude, I heard it every I morning before I went to school. Every morning I had MTV on, and there was that... that you know, Kurt Loder would come on and talk about whatever was going on. Um, yeah. That's how we got our news back then. There wasn't the internet. You right. Know? <laughs> that was how we got Before it. Before Blabbermouth was MTV <laughs> News. You heard it. Uh, you heard got it a little first. bit of that <laughs> one. Now. I, I heard a little bit of that one. That was good. Yeah, right. You know, but, um, you know it's funny with that bass because, you know, I, you know um, and I got to see your bases up close and personal there at the show. Uh, but you know, the, a traditional Fender bass, you can't really play that line because of this little that right. Oh. So I, I I recorded it on a BC Rich Mockingbird, which the neck really sticks out, right? So you can play because it's because your hand lays a, you know a little flatter on the on the neck, right? So I created that Jackson Kelly bird for that purpose to kind of have that mockingbird thunderbird kind of thing. So I could pull that, I could put that bass on for the encore and, and play the part better. And usually what I would go out and play with, you know, one of these more traditional bases, I'd always have to kind of stand different. And it's like Gene, when he breathes fire, right? He gets in his position and he really studies it and then he fucking does it. Right. So it's like play P cells is the same thing. I'd come out and I'd have to kind of, get situated and stand in a way and get the thing and then because <laughs> yeah, if I didn't I'd fuck that little note up you know and I'm like come on this is the one line I can't fuck up I need to probably play this one pretty good <laughs> it's not masked by everything else I'm, I'm standing on my own right <laughs> yeah right I know the exactly. feeling man I know the feeling <laughs> yeah right this is this is over to you buddy you got this right okay I do no. Yeah, man. I mean, going back to all those all those classic records, like I said, that I grew up uh, loving and stuff. And um, oh, real quick, before uh, there's just the last couple things I definitely want to get into. I wanted to get your opinion again. Let's bring up Mike Portnoy for one last time, maybe, probably let's a couple do more it. times. Love you, dude. Uh, Thanks, yeah. Mike. Uh, last was it two weeks ago now? Um, mm -hmm. uh, there was the announcement that Mike was uh, returning to Dream Theater. Um, right. I just wanted to, have you had a chance to talk to him about this a little bit? I, I, sh I shot him a text the other day and I, I was, you know, it, it took me a minute to yeah. reach out to him, but, uh, 
I'm, I'm just happy for him, and I can't wait to see what uh, is in store totally. for Shoot Theater moving forward, for sure. Well, it's funny, because you guys were kind of at the epicenter of when it all kind of went the other <laughs> way, right? Man, and that story, we've told that story over and over, man. We were like, we're like dude, like, like, we love you, Mike, but like, we're, we're going to go a different direction. Don't leave Dream Theater. Right. Don't leave Dream Theater. And he's like, I no. did it. And I was like, okay, that was on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Leap, there is no net. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. No, listen, you know. And I get it with Mike. You know, look, he did everything in Dream Theater. Right? And, and and that's no disrespect to anybody else. But, you know, yeah. he he did a lot. Like he like he said, bands are not democracies. There's someone has to be a leader. He was really kind of the de facto leader. Uh, <clears throat> he wrote a lot of the lyrics, if not all of them. Um, he, you know, he 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 ran the band, let's say it. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and every band's got one. Every band's got a guy who leads, yeah. you know, kind of leads the charge. Right. And. Um, so he did that. And so I think when he, and he, cause he would call me, he would talk to me all the time and he would you, man, I'm on the bullet train in Japan. It's fucking great. We're playing first class. And, you know, he enjoyed not having to work so hard, Yeah, I'm you sure. know, and, and just be a member. Marty Friedman said the same thing when he joined Megadeth. He goes, dude, I'm so glad to just be in a band where I can just play guitar, you know, and I don't have to run the band, do all the work and do all the stuff, you know? So I, I get it, you know, where, um, you know, so I know that was a big part of it, and then he right. he he loved playing with you guys, and you guys made a great record together. Man. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Killer record. Yeah, so. he came in at the end there and really really helped us out. So we weren't sure we when we had that record done, but we weren't sure if we were going to record it and put it out. It, it took steps after losing the rev for us to get our feet sure. back on. So. Sure. Uh, and Mike was an int uh, integral part of that. Absolutely, uh, helping us get yeah. us back on feet. Uh, nothing but love for Mike, and like I enjoyed playing with him too. It had, yeah. you know, there was other factors, of course, that, that was not one of them, you know, was our, was our friendship yeah, yeah. and love, you know? No, look, I mean, making a, you know, you guys went through, <clears throat> you know, as did Metallica, other members where someone, you know, passes away a, a key role and a member and, you know, the writers and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a huge transition, but you know, Mike, we it's funny, we were on a, a metal with the three of us or four of us actually have a metal allegiance text thread on our phone, you know, and, and and my son is a huge fan, right? He's a he's a total prog nerd, Roman, my buddy, my son, right? He's twenty seven, and he he he's a huge Dream Theater fan. He's playing me all this Dream Theater stuff that, you know, I'm aware of, but I I don't it's I don't listen to that stuff that much. I mean, Pull Me Under was kind of my big song that I loved of theirs, and Mike had me actually do a spoken word thing on one of the songs. Cause he would always do kind of a 12 step recovery song, so he had me uh, at Nam one year. He asked me to do a do a bit to me and Satriani and a bunch of guys. We kind of did a little, you know, spoken word thing on a, on a dream theater record. So, um, and then Mike and I, you know, played on a ton of things together, but, uh, suddenly Roman goes, he goes, Oh my dad, did you hear the news? I said, no. And usually when he says, did you hear the news? It's someone died. Like, it's, it's, it's always the yeah. bad yeah it was i will say it was a breath of fresh yeah. air to get some good yeah. news that week I, I'll, yeah I'll right that. i was like the cardinals lost you know something <laughs> bad happened well that, know, that, so. that doesn't that doesn't make me sad buddy that, that's just not even news <laughs> that just happens all the time <laughs> and so he tells me he goes he goes mike portnoy rejoined gene theater i'm like no shit and then i looked at our thread because we were chatting about something for our show coming up and and uh you know skullnick's congratulating him and then mike comes back he goes guys i'm so sorry i'm late and obviously my phone's blowing up and so yeah we sent our congratulations and and uh i said yeah now he'll probably charge us a lot more to be in the band you know now his now his rate went up you know so uh <laughs> 
But I tell you what, at those Metal Legion shows, man, Mike is a fucking beast, man. I mean, we'll do these shows are two, two and a half hours long, and he's up there fucking hammering through it and playing. And that's what I realized at at Metal Legions. We, um, you know, in the beginning, we would do it was Metal Masters. It was when Mark Mengi still worked for Samson, and 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 he'd hooked me up with Harky stuff, um, and we were doing these kind of clinic, a show kind of clinic vibe, right? And he called it Metal Masters. And it was around the time we were doing the big four. So Kerry King would join us, Phil and Selmo, <clears throat> the Anthrax guys, et cetera. And I remember Portnoy came into, you know, right at the beginning to play. And like, as soon as like somebody started playing some Slayer song, Mike, would go, oh, I know that song. And he'd play it. You know? <laughs> he knows, he knows them all. The encyclopedia. Everything. The encyclopedia. And I realized that's, that's how he plays with everybody. You know, like the Peter Gabriel bass player and all these guys, because he's a fucking fan. And, you go to his house, it's basically like Guitar Center meets Tower Records. Oh, dude, it's, it's like insane. And drum kits, you know, like then, then all the CDs and eight tracks. You're like, Jesus, dude. Oh, it's he's like got, he's got in the up. movie theater, you're like, why leave Casa de Portnoy? It's like, this is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, he set it up pretty nice, didn't he? <laughs> it's pretty awesome, man. It's pretty fucking awesome, I got to say. Rockstar drummer, for sure. For sure. Uh, Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. So uh, last couple things I'm going to get back into. I keep saying last couple things and we go off on some other fun shit, but uh, yeah, because we like to talk. <laughs> that's what, Hey, yeah. that's what it's here for, you know? Uh, uh, but yeah, so real quick, let's go back to Megadeth a little bit. Cause I, de- uh, I don't think we got the, 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 the final answer on if you felt on uh, the dystopia al- album, you uh, 
you you felt like you would do something different let's let's let's, let's answer that question first you know it, you know here's i guess the thing <clears throat> those parts you know there's certain lines right where you know like holy wars right yeah there's only one part to play that right it's not like you're gonna go yeah, totally. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna riff oh, around it. Yeah. There's not there's not. Yeah, I mean that's the riff. You know, that's the riff. <laughs> that's what you're playing. We're all jumping yeah. in. We're all fucking doing this together. Right. So a lot of dystopia was similar, right? Where you know the lines are the riff, you know, and there's not a lot of room to deviate. There there was a couple of things. Poison the Shadows was fun. It's a ballad, so you could kind of hold some big whole notes and do some things that were fun. Um, you know, do a little some passing tones and a little bit of you know, little movements and stuff. Um, dystopia was a pretty set. I mean, dystopia is kind of a hangar 18 model, you know, um, okay. same sort of thing where it has this sort of, you know, um, you know, you know, kind of down picking intro piece and then, you know, the verses and stuff. And then at the end, it's sort of guitar shred mania, you know, sort of a, a duel, you know? Right. Um, but, you know, so I think, I felt pretty good about it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, when you're working with Dave, he's got the whole thing in his head. And I, and I remember uh, Chris Adler told me, you know, Nick Raskolinis was in there for a while. Who's obviously a killer producer and has made great records with the Foo Fighters and Rush and everybody. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, I guess they kind of decided they weren't going to work together pretty early on, you know, cause Nick wanted to hear, Give me the chorus, you know, kind of where's where's the money shot of the song? And you know, and I think for Dave, he's like, fuck it, it's up here. It's I got it up here, you know. And, you know, that's you know, Dave's the kind of guy where, you know, he's ended up producing most of his stuff by himself, him and Chris Rakestraw, because he, he he's not a guy that can that after I guess I think in the more recent years, he was he knew what he wanted, he knew how he wanted to put it down, and he wasn't some you know, you can't live in someone's head. It's like, look, put it out here so we can discuss it and meet on terms and kind of work on it together and it just those were that wasn't how he wanted to make records he wanted his ideas and you know i think in the early days he always felt maybe a bit compromised of other people that wanted to have him go managers and producers and stuff so what i saw especially with dystopia and even the last record was you know wanting to just you know, he, he kind of needed to self-produce. It was the only option, you know, uh, to do that. So, you know, so it went. And on and on Dystopia, I, I felt like, you know, we had, you know, we're re we were rebuilding the band. In fact, there was a moment I was literally sitting right here in the office talking to uh, talking to Dave because we had, we had a manager who kind of came and went for a minute. Uh, he was a previous manager back in the 90s. And, and, um, and it was so there's like, we don't have a manager. We don't have a guitar player. We don't have a drummer. And I'm just sitting here talking today. We go, well, kind of ironic that it's just back to you and me again, isn't it? You know, <laughs> after everything. And, uh, and he said, yeah, it, it is, isn't it? And so, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, when worse comes to worse, it's the two of us. We'll get through it. We'll, you know, we'll rebuild the beast, you know. And um, Chris Adler was standing at the ready to play on the record because he's a big Megadeth fan and, and he did a great job uh, on that. And then, you know, Dave called me one day and he says, he goes, I've got my, we, then we hired 5B, we hired a new manager. And um, Dave said, listen, find me a guitar player. <laughs> That's your first job as my manager, find me a guitar player. So there's a very short list of people. And um, suddenly Dave calls me a couple days later, all enthusiastic. I found a guitar player. 
I said, yeah, who? He goes, Kiko. Do you know Kiko uh, Warrior? I said, I know Kiko. I just I just played with him in South America on a little all-star tour. He goes, you know him? I said, yeah, I got his number right here. You want me to hit him? He goes, fuck yeah, do it. So I hit him. I said, hey, Kiko, like, want to join Megadeth? (laughs) Which, you know, when you get the call for that band, it's not like, do you want to join? It's like the mafia calling. Hey, uh, kid, you're in the band. Get your fucking guitar. That's (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, hey, Kiko, you're in Megadeth. When can you get to Nashville? You know, that was kind of more of the conversation. (laughs) And uh, he had just come home from an anger tour. He was sick. He wasn't feeling good. And and, and I said, look, here's the three songs. I forgot what it was. Tulamon, Holy Wars, something, Symphony, whatever. Tornado Souls, maybe. So, look, make these videos, send them over, I'll pass them down to Dave. And, and Dave already has mine made up. It's like, it's yeah. done, you know. So, that was it, you know. So, we just all made our way to Nashville. You know, like I said, I went to Australia first and did that spoken word <clears throat> thing and came back. And, and uh, you know, that was a good season for me, though, to just sort of step out, you know, and do a lot of stuff on my own because the band had some downtime. And, and that was when I learned how to go out and do what we just, you know, put on, on sale here with this uh, base warrior tour, you yeah. know, was to learn how to just go out and be my own man, sort of own the stage, own the songs, do some storytelling um, and, and go out and have fun with it. Um, you know, I learned that when we were doing acoustic stuff with Megadeth back in the late 90s. We were in Japan, and Nick Menza, he said, he goes, I mean, I think Nirvana, a lot of these guys were doing the MTV acoustic stuff, right? Yeah, and so Nick Menza said, he goes, was pretty, was pretty popular there. was cool, yeah. So Menza said, he goes, why don't we fucking do Unplug, man? <laughs> because we're getting ready. We're in Japan, and we're going to get ready to go to South America. He goes... He goes, let's do it. Let's let's play acoustic. And this was on cryptic writing. So like songs like Trust and Tulamon, we had a, had a pretty good repertoire of stuff that worked, you know. And one of the songs that was actually really fun to play acoustic was She Wolf, oh, wow. of all things. Because it kind of took on this flamenco. Marty would play these sort of flamenco lines and it sort of turned into like Charo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so it was a lot of fun. But we had so we put the stools out in Yokohama. I remember we did it. We pulled four middle of the set, we pulled four stools out. And we come out with our acoustic guitars and we we played four or five songs in the middle of the show and the fans loved it. And you know, that's that really turned a corner. And I remember our guitar tech, Ms. Marty's tech, um, he had mentioned, he said, he goes, you know, this acoustic thing works for Megadeth because you're used to blowing volume and sound out at the audience the whole time, right? So you're sort of pushing them back. And when you play acoustic, you sort of invite them all in, you know, and they get real close. And, they, and he used this sort of f- this physical visualization of it. And I was like, God, that really is it. So even on this Bass Warrior tour, as much as we'll be playing, you know, in full rock regalia kind of thing, I, I like that there's these storyteller intimate moments, um, which are somewhat challenging in foreign countries, right? I Sometimes I'll have translators, right, when you're uh, in Hungary yeah. or in Poland and you know, now you're taking this right? one to Europe too. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. You yeah. Taking to Slovakia. I'm like, yeah. so, you know, sometimes I'll have some translators if I need. And then of course it's hard for me to not say so many words because I fucking talk all the time, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's fun to, uh, you know, to tell the stories and, and sometimes even, you know, some guys from fucking headbanger down there shouting something or asking a question, you know, even field a couple of questions and make it a little Q and a it's, yeah. It's a lot of fun, man. Again, breaking it down to invite the people in rather than always just pushing them back like we do at the big rock concerts. Right, right. No, I hear you on that, man. We did a little little acoustic performance some years back. Uh, 
uh, like right. a little Nokia thing. That was really cool. Um, yeah. One of the things you just mentioned I found interesting is you uh, hit up Kiko to, to join the band. Um, right. But after you had left in the early 2000s, first of all, uh, I'll come back to that, actually. Um, yeah. But then you said Willie was the one that reached out to you to, to come back. Is that accurate? Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, so two, 2010, Willie really reached out to me to come back. Willie and Sean Drover. Uh, they really are the okay. ones that, that got me and Dave reconnected again. And literally, I mean, Dave just called me and he's, they, they called me and they said, hold on, we're going to put Dave on the phone. Dave picks up. You know, Jupy calls me, Jupy or Junior. I hey, Jupy, you know. And then I was like, hey, dude, what's up? He goes, <clears throat> so, you know, and he said, look, you know, we're having a party, changing of the seas. And I said, listen, it's it's done dude i'll throw a base in my car i'll drive over tomorrow to san diego and we'll get in the room and we'll jam and so it was just it was done it was funny how you know you can stand at a standoff for years right like we did for several so, so years that, that was the I'll, question that i had though what what, what, what what was that first departure about well you know the group ended dave dave disbanded the group in 02 um you know he had some personal things that he needed to, that he was straightening out in his life and then when he put the group back together in 2004 i think the original intention was that he wanted to go solo or he had some people around him saying why don't we just do the david stain solo show well the record contracts and publishing contracts were all in the name of megadeth and they're like hey listen you know <laughs> The name Megadeth is what we signed. That's what we want. That's how we're going to get our money back off of this deal, right? Is, mm -hmm. you know, not somebody going solo in the band. So it turned out to be that, um, you know, I was approached about it, but it was a very different arrangement. Everything was different. And I just said, look, in good conscience, I can't get on board with that, you know, especially as being a, an owner of the band and a founder of the group and everything. It's like, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't do it. And, you know, look, we tried to work towards some kind of a, you know, of, of how that would, you know, a compromise just, of some sorts. Just, yeah, something. And it just wouldn't go there. They're like, no, this is it. This is what it is. So finally, you know, look, when you're, as you know, you know, a, a band is not only just a musical partnership, you become sort of a corporate partnership. You've got, you know, there's legal stuff. There's, you know, you're a, you're a, you know, you're a shareholder of a company there, you know, you're now, now it's IBM shit, right? You know, right, so, right, right, right. you know, when there's, All the stuff you know, we weren't thinking uh, about when we were picking up that Facebook. Totally right. Yeah. All the reasons we didn't want to go to college and learn about all this shit. Now we're in a band. We got to learn about all this shit. <laughs> so, Maybe I should have stayed in school a little longer. Fuck, I should have listened to that business class. Damn it. You know, so here we are. Unfortunately, my dad was a great businessman. And so he was always very, you know, he's always on me about it. And, and look, in, in our band, and I guess probably all bands, you know, sometimes you have to compromise. You go along to get along, you know, and sometimes you got to, you know, give a little to get a long, you know, instead of thinking of everything in terms of short go range, you, you look at the long range. And I was, right. I was in Megadeth for life. You know, I, to me, it was, it's a gang, it's a band, it's a band. Not looking to go anywhere else. I was never looking to go solo. I was never, you know, I was never that guy. Well, I'll do this for a couple of years and I'll go solo. It's like I was never, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm when I'm in, I'm all in. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, the times when I've been away from it, it's, it's, you know, again, this, this one wasn't. This one actually wasn't as 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 bad to be honest with you because I was kind of like, well, I've seen this movie before twenty years ago. I was you know not participating in the band you know then. So for now, you know I kept I kept active with stuff. I did other stuff even while I was back in the group. You know and um and and always respectful. Never to you know you don't trump the brand right. You never no. try to be bigger than the brand. You always stay under it within the confines. And, 
you know, I've, I've always been the, you know, a real ambassador to the group. David always called that. He called me that. He goes, Junior's the ambassador, keeper of the facts. He's the guy who, you know, kind of knows all the stuff. So, you know, that was also a big part of my role, not just being the bass player. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as you know, you know, a role in a band is more than just the musical role. It's, there's, a, you're a personality caveat to a lot of things. You're, you could be the peacekeeper, you could be the, you know, the icebreaker guy, whatever, you know, we, we all have these different roles of our, because of our personalities, you know, and how we sort of jigsaw puzzle fit together, you know? Um, so, you know, that was, you know, that was, that was mine. You know? So, but yeah, so, um, the part I was talking about with Kiko, that would have been about 2014. So about four years after I was back, you know, yeah, Chris Broderick, yeah, Chris Broderick and Sean Drover had left the group. And that was when we were rebuilding to make dystopia basically. Right, right, right. And then you did another couple records. You did another couple records with them. And then, um, you know, a couple, was it a couple years ago now you've been, you've been a couple years ago. Yeah. Then a couple years ago, we had our party of the way, (laughs) you know, which, uh, which again, I didn't think was necessary at all, you know, but whatever, you know, look, you know, being in a band, as you know, um, you know, we go through seasons of, you know, of, of, of getting along, not getting along, being burned out on the road together. Not it's wanting a marriage, to. man. It's a marriage. It, it, it is. You and, know? My, and actually my, it's a marriage that you never, actually, you never really get out of. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being in the mafia, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's especially a metal band, you know. It's like so. No, because you know, you'll it, always be attached. Dave Elvis and, and Megadeth will always be attached. It doesn't always, that's, you know, even the even yeah. the the first departure and then the, this this most yeah. more recent one. It's like you like have we talked about together, Mike Portnoy. You know? Every every Dream Theater was still attached to Mike Portnoy and, and vice versa for uh, over a decade. You know. Yeah. Well, and that just it is is uh, you know the you know again like it, it is it is you you build you build a family together and your offspring are your songs and your records mm-hmm. and um you know that's that's what you will always share forever and let's face it our songs will outlive us yes. right they will they will they will live past us so to some degree that's what you leave behind and as you sail on to the next universe <laughs> after you die uh, you know, that, that's, you know, we've created something that's bigger than us, you know, and I guess that's probably the, the challenge is to as best you can while you're here on planet earth, try to be a good steward of it, take care of it. Um, as you have your differences, try to resolve them. Um, and you know, it's funny when I saw my friend KK Downing leave Judas priest, you know, and I became friends with him. I was friends with him and then have rekindled a good friendship with him here in more recent years. Um, you know, and, and we put, we did a show together over at his steel mill over in Wolverhampton and it was great to get it back on stage. And he was excited to be playing, which is not, then he put KK's priest together. He's got records out again. He's back as a recording artist and touring again. You know, I, I, was, I just said to him, I said, you're not done, dude, get your fucking guitar. Let's go. You know I mean, it's like, that was me calling my idol. Going, dude, get your guitar. Let's go. There's more. I, there's no way. Johnny Christ, David Ellison, and fucking, you know, KK Downing are sitting around the house not playing music anymore. It's like that's just yeah. that day's never gonna happen. You know, yeah. till the day we die, this is what we fucking do, you know. Whether full time, part time, once yeah, whatever, in a while, but it's still, or it's it's whatever. part of the DNA. It's part of the DNA. Yeah. It's not going It anywhere. just is, man. 
It just is. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, so, you know, are you still talking to anybody in that camp though? Or is it, is, has all, all ties been kind of severed or, or you know, I don't, you know, Kiko has been a good friend, you know, he and I've chatted a couple of times, uh, you know, he'd reached out to me and, uh, you know, Kiko's not afraid of anything. He's, he's a grown up. you know, he's, he's, and he's like, he, you know, he, he's run Angra. You know, he was, you know, uh, I shouldn't say run. I mean, he's, but he was the rock star guitar player of that band. So like he's owned bands and, you know, <clears throat> like, like, you know, once you've been doing this a while, it's not like you're just a musician. You're, you're like a business owner, right? Mm -hmm. When you, like every band I've started, uh, every band, pretty much every band I've been in, I've been a founding member. You know, I've started them. I put the corporations together. I've done the press packages. I call the agents and the managers. I invest my own money in them. You know, so to me, it's just constantly recycling the funds back into the next endeavor. And, and that's that's how I roll, man. That's, how, just, an that's, 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 that's how an my... entrepreneur rolls. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what we do, right? Yeah. You know, I buy real estate. I do various things. Yeah, if I can start a coffee company, ah, another band. Yeah, why not? You know, so yeah. that's that's just, you know, and, and again, I learned that from my dad. Farming was very entrepreneurial, you know, um, especially to run a big agricultural business and, and you know, like bands are the same way feast or famine right it's yeah. uh you know we have hit records we have not so hit records we've got you know suddenly the world loves heavy metal and then sometimes they don't and you know so you, you guys you know, wrote a lot of those waves man like we like, did man over, over the years because i mean uh we as you know we talk about it we're like man if we were around 10 years earlier, you know, like what, what could, what could have that been? You know, cause by the time we were, I mean, yeah, there, there was the new metal phase that came in the early two thousands for a minute. And then there's a few right. bands that we've mentioned here on the show uh, through this last, last little, little bit um, that yeah. st stood the test of time through that, but right. it hasn't ever come back to the way it was in the late eighties, early nineties, where it was pop culture. You know, a buddy of mine, Ken Mary, uh, who was playing in Alice Cooper's band when they took Megadeth out in 87. He sells tour for us, right? And and he lives not too far from here in Phoenix. And and um, we reconnected when I moved out here in the 90s. And he said it one day, he goes, brother, we got in under the wire, hmm. you know? And I was like, God, that is a good way to put it, man. And you did too, man. We did I mean, too, in, had... in a different way, you know, for, for yeah. like album sales and yeah. stuff. I, I just meant more for like, like I said, the idea that, as I as we talked about, MTV, everything was all metal. Like right. that was pop culture sure. in in this country. Well, the thing for me, Johnny, was I would watch these bands on MTV, especially in the late '80s. These kind of one or two hit wonders, hair metal bands, let's call them, mm. who would just blaze up fucking the charts, and you'd see them on MTV. And I'm like, what the hell? How come they got so popular? You know, they're on Atlantic Records or whatever. <clears throat> and then here we are, we're out, you know, doing these kind of playing punk rock theaters, you know, and, and grinding it out on the road in a motor home and, you know, and, um, you know, then we got in the buses and trucks, of course, you know, being on Capitol records, you know, and it's like you and Warner and whatnot, you know, it's like you get, you get, you know, you, you get to, to the big dance, but it's, it's, you're just going, God, when are the, when, when is it going to get easier? You know? And, you know, then, you know, all these years later, we're still here, and I say we, meaning the legacy of Megadeth is is still here and thriving. Whereas a lot of those bands during the '90s, once Seattle music showed up, I mean, they were flushed out to the sea. I mean, it's like goodbye, you know, new new sound, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. And then they say Corn, Cold Chamber, 
you know, disturbed, Godsmack, you know, and, new, and, and new wave. 90s, early 2000s, right? Totally, totally. Yep. That's why, again, when you, again, you, Shadows Fall, Dragon Force, Lamb of God, you know, when you guys came in in your respective positions of that hierarchy, you know, you guys for sure at the, at the top of that, you know, that was a reset of like, fucking kids are into metal again you know they like they really like fucking heavy metal again and and in a lot of ways you know when megadeth disbanded in 02 and then you know again this put back together in 04 you and lamb of god and trivium and you know maybe bullet for my valentine and stuff like you guys fucking reset the thing it's like you guys actually recharged the whole thing and reignited it which gave you it know megadeth way, you know i mean we were young us, so it kind of yeah. felt that way a little bit i appreciate you saying that but as you're saying yeah. it too i i we got to give uh, another shout out to slipknot in in that respect because at the end of that new metal sure. scene they had you know the song wait and bleed where they went and played on late night tv and in uh, in a couple places and I've heard from several other people. I'd heard them a little bit before this, but, uh, you know, a lot of people, that's how they discovered them. They were just like watching late night TV and going, what the hell am I seeing? And it was, right. it was very, it's still, you know, it was Iowa was still had some influence of new metal, I guess, maybe by imagery, but the music was clearly right. different, right? We all, we all recognize the music. Yeah. And, but, but with the kiss factor, let's call it right. Yeah, like right. the new, you know, the mask band concept that, was those performances. Yeah around wait and bleed definitely uh perk some ears again for a second yeah. and went like wait metal's making another shift and then shortly <clears throat> after that like a few years later is when the bands that you mentioned with us in, in that thing had started yeah. bringing back the the guitar element in a lot of ways to it you know there was yeah there was always guitar in it don't get me wrong and it was and some of the coolest most innovative ways to do it came out of new new metal but it just wasn't it wasn't it wasn't as steeped in tradition as as say the 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 re the bands that would come later in like two thousand. You peaked an interesting thought, which is you know when I was working at PV doing artist relations from O two to twenty ten. You know, I started to realize you know metal bands sell fucking instruments. You know, which is why you and me have signature instruments, right? Right, because right, right. <laughs> our, right. We we sell through to the cash register, right? And and I noticed it because I started working with Slipknot, uh, Kid Rock, Slipknot. You know, the bands were blowing up in the 2000s, right? And we did some promotions with, with Nickelback, which were great because they, they connected. They were a, they were a, a rock group, right? Um, but I remember we did something with Kenny Chesney. We tried something with Country, like some kind of web-based promotion. And, dude, it didn't work at all. And I realized, mm -hmm. you know, as big as Country music is, and it's huge – it doesn't connect to, it's not an influencer for people to go play guitar and go play music. Mm. You know, you can be a small metal band and be fucking super influential. And, and there are a bunch and I, yeah. you know, periphery, these bands that I say small, meaning in the scheme of next to, you know, right. Beyonce or Metallica, you know, their, their numbers are, are not that, but, but they are so freaking influential that like a kid watches a periphery video and he's out buying the same amp guitar pick cable, oh, yeah. cutting his hair that way like truly an, an influencer, you know, and, and that's what metal does, right? Metal we're, we, we are our influencers with our, with our music, what we play, you know, shirts we wear or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's the uh, podcasting, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So you know, there it is. So. Yeah, man.
Well, I think that's a good note to end it on for today. I'll have to have you, go, have right. you back again because, I mean, I could go another fucking 10 days with you for sure. Uh, do it. Let's do it. We'll yeah. pick a new guy to drink to, but Mike, thank you for this one. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike. <laughs> oh, lastly, we were talking about departures real quick. We did mention Slipknot. I, I don't know if you know any of the guys there, but did you, you saw the news a couple days ago that they parted with Jay. Uh, I was shocked when I saw that. And, too. you know, it's interesting. I, I met the bass player guy uh, a couple years ago, and and I I remember we did a, a not fast Mexico City in eh, let's call it 2017 or so, right? And I remember hearing those guys warming up down like you know down the not the hall but whatever the fucking tent or wherever these dressing rooms are set up, right? And hearing that bass player and Jay playing, I was like, holy fuck, these guys are good. I mean, like. Yeah, you know, Chili Peppers, jazz, fucking killer level. I was like, man, I, I was impressed. That was one of the things, one of the most impressive rhythm section things I'd heard in a long time. And um, you know, seeing them live, of course, Great. rates. I mean, Jay really gave that thing a pop. You know, so I was I was shocked to see that. I hope everybody's okay. Right. Um, you know, that's always my hope is when these things happen. I, I hope everybody's okay. And, haven't been through that myself, you know, a time or two. It's, you know, for whatever the reasons are that transitions happen in bands, you just hope that, uh, you know, that it's that it's good and, and everybody lands well, you know. Right. So, um, do they have a new drummer yet? I uh, haven't seen any announcement yet. Good. I haven't seen an announcement. Maybe by the time this comes out, but uh, yeah. the, on this day that we're recording, I've not seen anything yet and haven't haven't spoken to anybody about it. So, I just, you know, aside from just reading the Well, we're pretty sure one thing, it won't be... Mike Portman. Oh, yeah, it won't be Mike. That's for sure. He's back in Dream Theater. <laughs> Congratulations to Mike and Dream Theater. Congratulations <laughs> to Mike and, and the rest of the boys in Dream Theater. And, and as you said, I hope everything's working out all right for everyone involved in the Slipknot stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure. sure all of it will come out in the you know months to come, whatever. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully it's all good news and not bad news. But yeah. uh, I want to thank you again so much, Dave. Uh, legendary. Totally, dude. Uh, to have you Thanks on the show, man. Me. Really appreciate it and getting to know you even more. And I'm sure many more times uh, with and without the cameras, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it, man. Anytime, Dave. Right. Any, anytime, on camera or just throwing down, hanging out, showing our watches. Showing our what watches. I got a Movado. What do you got? What do you got I got a Movado. Mine, mine's nice. actually like way more expensive than yours. Yeah, this yeah. Is it really is, yeah. Expensive oh, you're just gonna now. show that off at the end of the show like that? I don't. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. <laughs> I've had some really expensive ones. This one's like this one's like uh, yeah. this one's like a, a Toyota, you know. Not even it's not even a Tesla anymore, you know. And it's like, <laughs> but you've got the ultimate fucking bitch. This is, this one, is man. a timepiece. This is a timepiece for many reasons. That's the shit. Man, that's like breaking out your sixty-seven P base right there. That's awesome. <laughs> that's right next to it, man. Thank you again, hey everybody at home. Make sure you go check out if you're in, in Europe. Go check out uh, some of these uh, solo stuff. Bass Warrior coming out. Um, and again, thank you so much. And to everyone at home, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. As always, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, 
And my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezek, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions, lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun.